Well, happy Father's Day. Dads, uh, we celebrate you today. Welcome to Life Church. If you're a guest here, my name is Pastor Micah. And, and again, we, we just love uh, celebrating parents. We, love, we, we celebrated moms a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. And, and, and today we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be a godly dad. But as you can see, dads, we have a lot of sayings, a lot of really great sayings and a lot of really powerful sayings. I love the pull my finger one. That's, that's great. Uh, but... But dads, you have such an amazing anointing to lead. And today we're going to look at a, a man who really embodies what it means to be a godly father. And it's a man, his name was Joseph. And if he's, he was the father of our Lord and Savior, earthly father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So if he's good enough to steward and raise the Son of God, he, we could probably learn a few things from him. So we're going to dive into what uh, a godly father looks like studying the life of Joseph. We'll be in Matthew chapter 1 today. Uh, we're taking a break from 2 Samuel. If you're joining us, uh, we go right through God's Word verse by verse. It's called expository preaching. But today we're going to be in Matthew just to, to study what it means to be a godly father. Now, I wanted to let you know, I was going to read the top 12 reasons why it's good to be a man from the Babylon Bee. And uh, I... <laughs> I got vetoed by my beautiful wife, uh, Susan, so she saved you all and probably saved me from being, it being used um, uh, against me out in public, the court of public opinion. So uh, they were great, but I said, okay, well, if I can't do that, then what, I'm going to go and just maybe search online to find some great maybe videos that encompass what it means to be a dad. And I'm going to tell you what, there's some ads out there that I, I watched a couple of these, and I was like, ooh, these are, these are tearjerkers. So I wanted to play them for you. And the first one, again, this is, society knows how powerful it is to be a good dad. And even the ads of the products that we see on TV embody that sometimes. This is from Extra Gum. You guys, you guys know the gum company, right? Extra Gum. This is, when I first time I saw this, I didn't even have Savannah yet. And I, I was still fighting back tears. But check it out. I think you'll love it. Sometimes the little things last the longest. Give extra, get extra. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. You say I never cry, but it's not true. Like, even right there, I'd like, you know, that box hit the ground. You're like, oh my goodness, that's so powerful. Okay, there's another one that I stumbled across as well. So, get dads, if we need Kleenex, so I got Kleenex for you here. But uh, this, check out this one. Again, embodies the power of a loving father. This is the home you're going to grow up in. You like it? In this small house made of brick and stone, built on laughter, and all our dreams and hopes. In this small 
my gosh. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. I yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Did you, did you use this already? <laughs> I'll just use my shirt. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think the, 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 those two commercials tell a story though. These are just, you know, just normal companies, and they recognize the power of a parent, the power of a father, a loving father. And, you know, at Life Church, we are about fathers because we know if the fathers step up to their responsibility, then the mothers will come into their responsibility easier, and the children then will come into their responsibility. There is a, there is a drastic difference in percentages of, of families that go to church, that know the Lord, that walk in His purposes. A huge, there's a huge uptick of the whole family accepting Christ as their Savior when the dads actually step up and lead spiritually. It's a 17% of families who, um, or if a child comes to know the Lord, there's a 3.5% uh, chance that the whole family will come to know the Lord. If a mother comes to know the Lord, there's a 17% chance that the whole family will come to know the Lord. But if a man steps into that and comes to know the Lord, there is a 94% chance that the rest of the family will come to know the Lord. That was a study done by the Family Research Council a few years ago. And, and that's, to, to me, that, that just speaks volume. It doesn't say that moms aren't important or kids aren't important. It says that when men operate in their godly authority, the world functions the way that God designed it to function. When families are strong, the society is a good society to live in. You want to you understand the breakdown of America, I'll, tell you, I'll show you the breakdown of the family. That's the, that's the problem. Why do we have all the murders in Indianapolis every weekend? Because it's the breakdown of the family. Because dads haven't been doing what God has called them to do. And as a society, we've rejected what God says. And so we get what we deserve. I see that, and it breaks my heart when I hear about shootings in Indianapolis or, or murders in Chicago or around the country. But it's like, well, this is what we got. This is what we deserve. Because we have allowed fathers in our culture to be seen as just guys who can get women pregnant and then abandon their responsibility. We don't hold them accountable. And so, so dads today, I'm here to say, I love that you're at Life Church because we'll hold you accountable. We'll link arms with you. We'll pick you up when you fall. You'll help pick us up when we fall. That's what we do as a community. And there's a, there's a reason our, our uh, vision statement at Life Church is fathering sons, in, fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. We say when dads do what they're called to do, then the family begins to work the way God has called it to work. And we see this in scripture with Joseph. And we're gonna study Joseph today, a character study, a resume of a hero maker. Hero maker is a term that I love. There's a book that just came out recently called Hero Maker, and I'd highly recommend you go out and read it, but it's about being the person in someone's life who doesn't play the central role, but you allow them and equip them to be the hero of the story. Hero makers 
are worth their weight in gold. The hero's important, but I would say those who make the hero are even more important. If you're the person that people can go to and say, man, if I go to you, you will, you're going to help me be the better me. You're going to be one of the most valuable people in your, in your community, in your business, in your church, in your family. If people see you, it's like, oh, if I go to, if I go to that guy over there, then this is, he's going to help me become a much better version of myself. And so Joseph embodies this idea of hero making. So who was Joseph? Well, Joseph was a, first and foremost, a godly father. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and you're going to see how the Lord refers to Joseph. Uh, but, but before we get into that, again, I just wanted to highlight this one more time. The vision statement, fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. When you come into Life Church, you're coming into a place that believes in family, believes in equipping the next generation to do the work of, of kingdom building. And so that's why we do our Kingdom Builders weekends, because we want to raise up people to be awesome, powerful sons and daughters to the King Most High. So Joseph was, first and foremost, he was a descendant of King David. Okay, we're going to study the, this, the line of King David here in just a second, but there's two, there's two lines of David. One goes, one goes this way and the other goes this way. Joseph was in the line that, that goes from King Solomon. So David and then Solomon and then all the way to Joseph. So he's a descendant of King David. The name Joseph means he will add. And I think that's pretty prophetic because Joseph, being the father of our Savior, he added something to society and culture that, that Jesus needed in that, in that moment. Jesus needed a, a father to help raise him, protect him, provide for him, to help guide him so that Jesus then could be the hero of our story. And I would argue that if Joseph didn't do what he, what he was called to do, the story might look different. Now, I don't, think, I don't think that would have thrown God off. I think God would have found another way. I think God was, he's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. But God knew if he picked a hero maker like Joseph, he could trust the stewardship of his son to this man. I think that's a powerful statement. Would God look at you, moms or dads, would God look at you and say, I can trust you with the stewardship of something that important? What a, what a powerful thing to say about Joseph. God trusted him with the stewardship of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Jesus embodies the gospel. The gospel is that God loves us. He did everything to make a way for us so that we could spend eternity with him, that he could pour his spirit out upon us, that we could commune with him and he could commune with us. That's the picture of the gospel. The gospel was actually first mentioned in Scripture all the way back in Genesis. And I'm, I want to go back there real quick because I want to I show you how the Lord said this was all going to play out. So there's a picture in Genesis 3.15 Chapter 3, verse 15, where the Lord is talking to the serpent. The serpent had just gotten Adam and Eve to sin. Now sin has entered the world. And now the Lord says to the serpent, he says, I will put en enmity between you and the woman. I'll make you enemies. I will, put, I will put tension and strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, speaking of Jesus, and you shall bruise his heel. When Jesus stepped on the foot of the, or the head of the snake, he bruised his heel. And there's that, there's that scene in The Passion of the Christ where we see Jesus, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that snake slithers in. It represents the, it represents the devil, and Jesus just crushes the head of the snake with his heel. But he did that spiritually. He crushed the head of the devil with his foot. And you see the nails were driven into his feet, and that was a sign, a prophetic sign of those, those nails 
Those feet crushed what the devil was trying to do. But this is actually something that we call in the church world, in the theological world, this picture of the gospel given in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. And this is kind of the picture that represents the Proto-Evangelium. You see Eve right here on the left, and you see the serpent tangled around her leg, and that's a, that's a symbol of sin. But then you see Mary with a smile on her face, like it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You see Eve, she seems very depressed and saddened by what just happened. But then you see Eve, or Mary, who is, who is with child, she's pregnant with Jesus, and she's holding Eve just as if to say, it'll be okay. God's got, God's got this. And then you see she's stepping, she's crushing the head of the snake with her, with her heel, symbolic for what Jesus was going to do uh, uh, at the cross. But that's a picture of the Proto-Evangelium. And, and, I, and this is important to go back and set this up because it was not from Joseph's offspring that God was going to do great things. It was the offspring of the woman that God was going to bring the Savior of the universe. So, so really, the woman's the, the key to this story, not Joseph, not the father. The woman, it was her, it was her lineage, not Joseph's. Now, why, why is this important? Because you can't have the corrupted seed of men doing something that's holy and sinless. Once Adam sinned, his seed was corrupted. That, that's why it was important, the virgin birth was so important, because it, there was no corrupted seed that was impregnating Mary, the virgin. She hadn't been corrupted yet. She hadn't been, you know, given over to marriage and, and slept with a man who had sinful seed. She was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit came upon her and put his seed, which is perfect and holy, in her. And that's how Jesus was sinless. He didn't, he didn't get dirty in the sin of the world because he came from the seed of the Holy Spirit. That's why it was Mary's lineage that created the promise, that was the, that was the promise. So now you have Joseph and Mary, both descendants of David. It would have been super easy for Joseph to say, well, I'm, the, I'm royal heritage. I'm of, I'm of royal lineage. The story should be about me. The story should be, should be I'm the hero of the story, and I'm, I'm coming in, and God's going to use me in a powerful way. But Joseph didn't do that. He said, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want, it's, it's your story. It's not mine. I'm just... I'll play the role that you call me to, to play. And you can see a little bit here, this, uh, the messianic genealogy here from Adam to Christ. You see all the way over here to the left, you have Adam. Then it goes down to Noah. The Lord destroyed the world, but, but through the ark, which is a picture of Jesus, he, uh, he saved Noah and his family. They repopulated the earth. Then we get Abraham. And then all the way down here, we get Jesse uh, and then King David which we've been studying about in First and Second Samuel. But then there's two lines. Oh, actually, you know what? Before we go, I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but let me show you something real quick. It's kind of cool. It's just cool, God's grace and redemption here. So there is, um, right, up, right up here, there's a man named Salman. I don't know if you can see that right there. Salman. So for those who are watching at home, Salman right there. He, he was the, let's see, David, dad, grandpa, great-grandpa, great-great-grandpa. Okay, so he would have been David's great-great-grandpa, Salman. That is a really interesting story because Salman took a, a, uh, a wife, and her name was Rahab. And so, do you know the story of Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, a wicked city. And Joshua... 
goes into Jericho. The Lord gives, gives Jericho to Joshua. And as the spies are going into Jericho, Rahab recognizes who God is. If you want to be saved, all you have to do is recognize and accept who God says he is. Right? The, the thief on the right is a great example. Hanging on the cross, Jesus in the middle, the thief on the right. Never went to church, never took communion, accepted who Jesus was, and he was saved. Right? He's in heaven to this day. He's celebrating with all the saints. And he never did any of this religious stuff, right? Well, here we have Rahab, the same thing. She's a prostitute in Jericho. Never did any of this religious stuff. Didn't even know, really, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob until she started hearing the stories of this God. And so the spies come into Jericho. They find Rahab. Rahab, Rahab says, would you please remember me when you come in to take the city? Because I know your God is the one true God. I'm just throwing myself at the mercy of this God. And the spies said, yes, we will. Put a scarlet rope, hang it out of your window, and we will, anyone in your, in your house will be saved. And that's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of what the, the, the ark or the, the covering of Jesus uh, gives us. And so the story goes, Joshua comes in, the Lord takes down the walls of Jericho, and they take the city, but they spare Rahab and her family. And Rahab is now grafted in to Israel. She wasn't a part of the Israelites. And you would think that the story was good enough there. Like, oh man, like you went from being an enemy of God and now you're in the, the nation of God. Great, awesome, end of story. No, not end of story. She marries Salmon. Salmon then has a son named Boaz. You know Boaz and Ruth. They have a son named Obed. And then Obed has Jesse and Jesse has David. So not only did Rahab, a prostitute from a wicked anti-God city get grafted into Israel, God saw fit to use her to help bring about the Savior of the universe. That's pretty awesome. So let me ask a question. Have you ever, have, has the devil ever whispered in your ear like, oh, God can't use you. If only people knew what you did. If only, if only like you wouldn't have done those things, then maybe God can use you. But because you did those things, God can't use you. I think I could make an assumption here that most of us would probably say we're a little better than a prostitute from a wicked, wicked city like Jericho, right? If God can use Rahab and graft her into the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, think about what he can do with you. Isn't that awesome? What a powerful, powerful story. So that's just, that's free. You guys don't have to pay for that one. That was, has nothing to do with Joseph. But all right, so, so then we get down here to King David. And then if you see here, you have Solomon, who was David's son. He became the king, right? But then up here, you have, a, you have another son named Nathan. Now, this is not the prophet Nathan. This is David's son, Nathan. I, would I don't think people know this for sure, but I would assume he's named after the prophet because of the relationship David and the prophet Nathan had. But this is, up here is the lineage of Jesus. You have Nathan, and then you have wicked king, wicked king, wicked king, wicked king, and then Mary, okay? Down here you have Solomon, and then wicked king, wicked king, wicked king, wicked king, and then Joseph, all right? So uh, it's like humans are dumb. I just said, you know, that's just what we are. We, we walk away from the Lord. The Lord always has to restore us. He pulls us back in. We reject him. Then he, he restores us. He pulls us back in after we learn our lesson because of the stupid stuff we do. But but we have Mary is the, she is the descendant of the promise. So again, going back to Joseph, he's humble because it would have been really easy, especially in that culture, the Israelite culture, for the, him to say, I'm the man, I'm the patriarch, I'm the head of the household, the promise is good, definitely coming through me. And Jesus said, no, it's not coming through you, Joseph, but I need you to play a really important role. As fathers, 
Is that our heart? Are we humble enough to say, whatever God you want to do with me, I'll play the role you, you've called me to play? When you play the role God's called you to play, it goes really, really well for you, for your family, for your children, your children's children, and even for the world, as we'll see here. Now, the Bible doesn't record any words given by Joseph. He, like, no, it's, it's interesting. No words. He's, he's not re- we know him, though, through his actions. And while he spoke no words that were recorded in Scripture, he was the earthly father or the steward of the word in flesh. Think about that for a second. How poetic is that? God, God didn't see fit to have a word Joseph uttered on earth to make it into the Holy Scriptures, but yet he stewarded the word. The word in John 1.1, 1, 1, we know Jesus is the word with flesh on. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. If you've ever had a hard time understanding the Trinity, let me lay it out for you. You have God the Father. He does everything by his spoken word. When he spoke the word, he put flesh on the word, and that's Jesus. And that word started walking around on earth, and that's the word that set us free. And, yet, and the guy who was called to specifically take care of the innocent word in baby and child form was Joseph. Wow. Fathers, do you ever see into the spiritual and what God is doing? Because I, I, I had to imagine that Joseph probably didn't know all the details of what was going on, but he said, I'm going to be obedient. And as the Lord began to reveal certain things to him, I bet it was just this wow, this wow moment. Like, okay, God, I, this, this, if this is the role I'm playing, I'll do it. Joseph was also righteous and merciful. So if you have your, if you have your, uh, your Bibles open to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. In verse 18, it begins to, de- to describe who this man Joseph was. He was probably only about 17 or 18 years old. Mary, we know, was about 14 years old at the time. That's the, the culture back then. That was women, uh, girls would get married at 14, 15, and 16 years old. That's just their culture. So Mary would have probably been about 14 or 15. Joseph at this time was about 17 or 18, most likely. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So them coming together is consummating the marriage, you know, sleeping together. So they, they didn't sleep together, and yet here she is. She's pregnant. Uh Uh-oh, in this culture, that is a big, big deal. This is not the hookup culture of the 2023 American culture, okay? This is, you get pregnant out of wedlock in the Jewish culture, you're you're in big trouble. And, And it's almost to the point where you could be stoned to death legally if, if people, if the men saw fit. And here's what Joseph did. Joseph, he said, um, uh, yeah, and her husband Joseph began a uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, well, this is important because Joseph, if if he wanted to maintain his reputation, he would have outed her, like he would have thrown her under the bus. He would have said, "She's the one who s- slept around. I had nothing to do with this. I need my reputation to remain spotless and clean." Deal with her however you want, but don't take it out on me. I'm going to go and find somebody else. I'll get married, have a life, have kids, be respected in the community. What isn't respected in the Jewish custom is to divorce somebody without cause. But he didn't want the community to know 
that she had done this, so she was trying to protect her. But if he were to divorce her without giving the full story, he would be the one who would be shamed. He would be the one that would lose his reputation and his status in the culture. He would be the one in trouble. And yet he, re- he resolved to do that. He was going to divorce her quietly. He knew that it was going to come out. He knew that people would find out. But yet he was righteous and he was merciful. That tells you a lot about the man of Joseph right there. Joseph was also, uh, he was also a man of prayer. He was, he was able to hear the voice of the Lord. At Life Church, we, we really focus in on the prophetic and the prayer life of, of, our, of our congregation because if you hear the voice of the Lord, it makes things a whole heck of a lot easier. My mom, she has an amazing ability to hear the voice of the Lord. I think she's got a bat phone like, that goes up to the throne room of heaven in her closet. You know, She can just like, hey, God, okay, yeah, tell me what to do here. Okay, give me, give me direction. And it's like every time. But she's learned to hear the voice of the Lord. That's what the prophetic means. The prophetic is just, can you hear the voice of the Lord? So we want to teach people how to hear the voice of the Lord here. Because when that happens, you get clarity. You get direction. You're, you're able to move through life a whole heck of a lot easier. But Joseph was able to hear the voice of the Lord. The second part of that coin, the other side of that coin, is when you hear the voice of the Lord, will you obey the voice of the Lord? And that's a big one right there. Some people can hear God's voice fairly well but they won't obey God's voice. And this is what the voice of the Lord said to Joseph in verse 20. But as he considered these things, as Joseph considered whether or not to divorce her and send her away quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Again, that's kind of interesting because he's referencing his royal lineage and yet he's not the main character of the story. It's coming through Mary's lineage. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Now make it make a point to remember that the angel came to Mary too, but she didn't, the angel didn't tell Mary the meaning behind the name of Jesus. The angel did tell Joseph the meaning behind the name of Jesus. And so it's, it's interesting that God gave that revelation to the father, the head of the household. This is who he's going to be. Mary knew that it was from God and knew that his name would be called Jesus, but didn't know the details and the depth. But God gave that revelation to Joseph, Joseph because Joseph was going to be the caretaker of both him, uh, or both Mary and, and Christ. Now, Joseph was self-controlled. So imagine being a 17-year-old, 18-year-old boy. You find out that your wife, whom you're, you're going to be able to sleep with here pretty soon, is now conceived. She's conceived a child with the Holy Spirit. And Joseph holds off sleeping with her for, for a whole nine months. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a 17 or 18-year-old boy. That would be a big feat right there. That's a miraculous feat, in my opinion, okay? Like, you're married, and you cannot sleep with your wife? Are you kidding me right now? Like, dude, you got some great self-control, okay? So, so he waits. He doesn't want anything to stop, to come against, to, to hurt, harm the promise that God had given Mary. 
And he doesn't know all the detail. He doesn't understand this fully yet, but he obeys. He obeys and he trusts God. Joseph was also, as a godly father, he was a protector and a provider. Guys, that's, I think that's where we, we drop the ball a lot, myself included. I, I'm preaching in the choir here where I need to protect and provide. And there are times where I don't do that as well as I should. And Joseph, if you look at what happens here in this next, the next part of the uh, next chapter, in chapter 2, you see that Jesus had been born. And, and when, they, when they departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. So let me give you a little bit of backstory there. So we all know the Christmas story, most likely. You've got the shepherds and the angels, and you've got the three wise men. A couple things in the three wise men. There weren't three that we know of. We don't know how many there were. They brought three gifts— gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so that's why we say the three wise men. But it could have been a whole bunch of wise men. Well, when they, they actually were not at the birth of Jesus, we see the shepherds stable and like, you know, the, the shepherds come and then just shortly after the shepherds are there, then the wise men come and lay the gifts right down in the stable and the manger there. It's not what happened. The star of Bethlehem came when Jesus was born, and then the wise men from the east begin to see the star, they recognize that God was speaking to them, and they began to search out the Messiah. And they knew the prophetic words, and they said, okay, something happened, and it's over that way. We're going to follow it. And they come to the city of Nazareth, where, where, where Jesus is living at the time, because Jesus was not, a, not from Bethlehem. The re, remember, the whole story was Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was a descendant of David when the census was called. They had to go back. But he lived in Nazareth. So there's a bunch of prophetic words here that I could understand if you didn't know the story. You'd say, it says that the Messiah is going to come from the, from the city of Bethlehem. But the prophetic word also says he's going to be a Nazarene, a Nazarite, from the, from the city of Nazareth. That doesn't make sense. And then what we're going to see here in just a second, the Bible says in the next verse, "...and rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt." And it re remained there until the death of Herod. That was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So now you're, there's a prophetic word saying, but the Messiah is coming from Egypt. So you see how confusing prophetic words can be sometimes if you don't know the whole story? But yet, it was all talking about Jesus. But nobody knew that there was going to be a census, that, that Joseph was going to have to go to Bethlehem, but he was really from Nazareth, and no one knew that this was going to happen with Herod, and Herod was going to try to kill him. So back to the three magi, the three kings, they, they come two years later to Nazareth, and they search for, this, for this, this Messiah. But they come into Jerusalem, and they go straight to the king, uh, King Herod. And they say, King Herod, we're from the east. We study the stars. We know that God's doing something amazing here, and the Messiah has been born. And what does King Herod say? King Herod says, oh, I would like to worship with you. So would you let me know when you find him? But Herod wasn't doing that because he was wanting to worship God. He was doing that because he was threatened by what was happening potentially with this new king. He's like, wait, a new king? I'm the king. Uh, we're going to take care of this right now. And so he tells the wise men, he says, when you find the Messiah, please come back and tell me so that I can also go and worship. His whole plan was to kill Jesus when he found Jesus. He just didn't know where he was. He didn't know who he was. And so the, the, three, the wise men left. They find Jesus. They offer gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As they're coming, as they're getting ready to leave, the Lord appears to them in a vision. And he says, 
don't go back to Herod. Herod wants to kill the child. Go back a different way. And so they left and went back a different way. But then Herod found out that they were gone and did not tell him, and he was mad. And so what does he do? He orders that all children under two be killed in Jerusalem. That, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. Go, anytime the Lord wants to set you free and he's going to use a person to do it, the devil's going to try to snuff that out at the very beginning of their life. Look what happened when the Lord sent a deliverer for, for the Israelites when they were back in Egypt. Remember the story of Moses? It's a prophetic story of, uh, that it's a prophetic look into what Jesus was going to do. A little baby was born. And what did, what, how, why did this baby, what was the big, big deal with Moses? Pharaoh was trying to kill all the two-year-olds in under in Egypt because he was threatened by the Israelites. There were too many of them. But Moses miraculously survives through the protection of his family, becomes an adopted son of Pharaoh. And then we know the story. Moses leads the Israelites out, and, and God uses Moses powerfully, right? Well, now fast forward to Jesus. The same thing is happening again. Fast forward to our current culture. Look at what we've done with the, through abortion. We've murdered 65 million children since Roe was, was enacted in 1973. Now, praise the Lord, it was overturned last year. We're going to celebrate that next week on the anniversary of Roe being overturned. But, yeah, yeah, give, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy's clapping. I... But why, this, why is that happening? Because I believe the Lord wanted to do a lot of things to set people free from their bondage that they've been in for the last 50 years, and he was sending people in to do it, and the devil said, no, 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 I want to stop you from being free. They say Albert Einstein was one in, six, in, one in, one in a million. You know, they, they, Steve Jobs is a one in a million. Steve Jobs or, you know, you name the innovator, the Isaac Newtons, whoever, like one in a million. We've murdered 65 million children. There's 65 geniuses that would have given the world something amazing that are no longer here and have given us what we need to set us free because we've killed them. Think about how many of you struggled with cancer? How many know somebody who's gone through cancer? I think we could probably all raise our hands there. Maybe the person that God was sending in who had the answer to eradicate cancer from the face of the earth was one of those 65 million. You ever thought about that? What, what jobs do we not have? What innovations do we not have? Because we've murdered the ones the Lord has sent in to help set us free. This is what the devil does, it's his playbook. And I'm only bringing that up to say, he did it here with Jesus. But the father figure in Jesus' life protected him, obeyed the voice of the Lord and said, okay, I'm going to move on behalf of my family and keep him safe. Ultimately, what I see when I study the life of Joseph is a young man who had huge shoulders. A young man who knew his godly responsibility and did not, did not run from his responsibility. By this point in the story of Egypt, he was probably 20 years old. I don't know about you, when I was 20 years old, I don't think I could do even close to what Joseph is doing and I look around our culture right now, I say, geez, we need those godly men who have big shoulders, can carry responsibility, can, can do what God's calling them to do, and do it obediently because they can hear the voice of the Lord. Praise the Lord for a man like Joseph. Dad's in this room, a little self-reflection. Is this, is this convicting? Is this like, okay, well, I, I could really work on being humble. I could work on being a protector, provider. I could work on being merciful. I think we all could probably say, yeah, 
I need to work on some of these areas. And here's the, here's the ultimate thing. Children in this life, they need those father figures. Whether you have biological kids or not, if you're a guy in this room, you can be a father to somebody who desperately needs you. There are a lot of kids out there that don't have fathers. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe he's laid somebody on your heart right now, even as I'm speaking. You say, hey, reach out. Begin to be a father to that person, to that child that desperately needs you right now. There's a story of a, he was a friend of mine. Is, he is a friend of mine. His name is John Crane. He's a senator from, a state senator from uh, Avon. And, and uh, he was up for re-election a few years ago. And uh, there's another senator in, this, in the legislature in Indiana. His name is J.D. Ford. J.D. Ford is an openly gay man. And when John was running for re-election, J.D. wrote a piece that kind of went national. I think the Washington Post or something. But he was attacking John is what he was doing. And he was saying, John Crane doesn't believe I'm a good father. Because J.D. Ford is married and I think uh, assumingly has a kid or, you know, some, somehow like through adoption or, or whatnot. But he was, he was vilifying John. He was saying, John doesn't think I'm a good father. My husband and I, we have... We're, we're, you know, we're, we're raising great kids. And John, I remember he was talking to me and he said, you know, Mike, I, I never said he was a bad father. I just know he's going to be a terrible mother. <laughs> and that stuck with me because I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. Children need a father and a mother. And we have to know the roles God has called us to play. And studies are so clear on this. When a child doesn't have a father, there's a huge hole that mothers can't fill, even if they want to. And vice versa. When a child doesn't have a mother, there's a huge role and a hole that can't be filled by the father. But collectively, church, when dads play their role, when moms play their role, when we get this, then we all become hero makers with a resume like Joseph. And that's what Life Church is about. It's creating hero makers, creating parents, fathers, mothers who steward what God has given, given us. Just as a recap, and men in this room, if you can check this off and just kind of say, okay, every day I just want to pray that the Lord would give me more of these attributes like Joseph had. He was humble, he was merciful. He was a protector. He was a provider. He didn't run from his godly responsibility. That is the resume of a hero maker. I don't know about you, but I want to be a hero maker. I want God to use me in whatever role he's calling me to be playing, and I hope you say the same thing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You know, sometimes in life, we, we, we ask the question, Lord, why did my life go down this path? Why, why did this bad thing happen to me? Where were you when? And I think that's the wrong question to be asking. I think it's, Lord, what do you want me to do with this situation should be the question. What do you, how do I respond in this situation? And there may be some people here who are saying, I didn't have a father or my father was a terrible father. And you may be saying, I, I don't know about this father thing, Micah, but I'm here to tell you that the Lord, he's a healer. He can set you free. He loves freedom. And I think it's, 
I think it's just fitting that today falls on the weekend that we celebrate June 5th or Juneteenth. Juneteenth is, is coming up on Monday and, and we're celebrating this idea that, God, that, that, that slavery was abolished in 1863, but for two and a half years, the nation, there were people in the nation that didn't know that they had been set free and then word travels, gets to Galveston, Texas in 1865 and the last slaves are told that they've been freed and they receive the freedom. Maybe there's somebody here today that like the story of Juneteenth. You're saying, I, I, I have been struggling with this father issue. I've been struggling with a bondage and addiction. I've been struggling. And you want that same freedom that God gives you, that, that, that you know God gives. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.